Good afternoon and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental and societal incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Secularists try to downplay the role of religion in the history of the United States. But religion was a driving factor in much of the European settlement of North America. The first European settlement in what was to become the United States was in Florida in 1564 by French Huguenots. Fleeing oppression for the native France in 1620, Pilgrims, fleeing persecution in England, established their colony in Massachusetts. The first trappings of representative government were established by the Pilgrims through the Mayflower Compact. The original Pilgrims were a mixture of Congregationalists, tradesmen, and adventurers. But recognizing that they were beyond the rule of English law, the Compact established a government based on majority rule that satisfied both the Congregationalists and the adventurers. Spanish Franciscan monks built up and down the West Coast, various missions, and in Texas as well. Lutherans also arrived in increasing numbers in what was to become New York, Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Religion played a major role in the American Revolution. Clerics supporting the Patriots preached that the Revolution was a righteous cause sanctioned by God. A Lutheran pastor, Peter Muhlenberg, threw off his clerical garb following a sermon in 1776 to reveal his uniform as an officer in the Continental Army. After the Revolution, religion led the way in establishing colleges and educational institutions. Many were also active in the anti-slavery movement. Here to discuss the role of religion in America's formation is Professor Matthew Spaulding, Associate Vice President and Dean of Educational Programs at Hillsdale College's Kirby Center, and the Reverend Dr. Daniel Harmlick, Executive Director of the Concordia Historical Institute. Free to be Faithful encourages our listening audience to ask questions on our telephone number in the greater St. Louis area, which is area code 314. 825, strike that, 821-0850. Outside the St. Louis area, North America, a toll-free number is 800-730-2727. The program may also be contacted by email at townsquare at kfuo.org. Dr. Spaulding and Dr. Harmelick, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. How are you? Well, sweltering here on this day in St. Louis. It's, uh... It's great to be here. Uh, well, thank you very much. Look, look, look forward to the discussion today. It should be a very exciting one, I think. Uh, I'd, I'd like to open this up a bit with uh, Dr. Spaulding. Uh, Dr. Spaulding, can you give a, a brief historical overview of what religion played in the United States? I think I got it into my intro, but I want to hear what you say about right, that. Right, right. Well, you actually set it up quite nicely. I think the the first point to make is that the, the widespread common assumption uh, is that the the American founders, uh, and by which by which I mean founders, I mean you know kind of post the original colonists, post the Pilgrims. Uh, once you get into the actual creation of this new republic, the Revolution and the Constitution, the widespread assumption is they were a bunch of deists, which is that they might have believed in some great rational spirit, but beyond that, there wasn't much there. Uh, they were not friendly to religion, hence they build, uh, built uh, in the, the, the letter that Jefferson once wrote, a wall of separation between church and state. Um, that is, is uh, widely mistaken, 
also including uh, Jefferson's infamous letter, which I think is misunderstood. We can get back to that later if you'd like. Uh, but that general interpretation, which is kind of the modern progressive liberal interpretation of the American founding, is wrong. The, the, the religion plays an overwhelmingly important role, both in particular uh, cases, particular colonies, particular religions, particular areas. But more generally, religion defines the moral horizon of all of their thinking, uh, such that how they come to understand uh, constitutional government, the separation of powers, the relationship between church and state, all of this shit is shaped by a worldview which which accepts moral truth, uh, which is if not if not directly comes from an understanding of revelation, at the very least is consistent with an understanding of a world based on moral truth. Now, de Tocqueville, and, and that is overwhelmingly the case. Now, de Tocqueville's book, Democracy in America, from the 1830s, he made an observation that religion was part and parcel of the American people. Uh, part of the concept as being that if we are all equal before God, we're certainly all equal before the law. And this is certainly a, a basic foundation for democracy, and also the concept of doing right, which was not the case under the old king. No, that's, that's absolutely right. The, the key, in, in, in terms of what Tocqueville's talking about, and for this conversation, the key distinction here is between a European understanding of religion and politics and an American. And the key difference there is in Europe, you have uh, aristocracies and kingships, monarchies, which is a centralized, all-powerful government, which uh, at the time of the American founding is overwhelmingly uh, established churches uh, that, are, that are connected through the claims of divine right of kings, for instance. This is what gives rise to the fact that many come to this new continent seeking religious liberty. The combination of those religious which are very uh, powerfully uh, influencing uh, the growth of the colonies and their spiritual understanding, along with a general rise of an understanding of political liberty in, in the kind of British Lockean tradition, when you put those things together, it creates, it really lays the seeds for an understanding of religious liberty, which is not established churches, which, which is a religious freedom on the one hand, but on the other hand, deeply connected to an understanding of uh, there are certain basic common moral truths. Uh, you see them written in the Declaration of Independence about human equality and consent, uh, and, and that those things can come together so you can create a situation of, of liberty, of limited government, but very friendly to a very expansive notion of moral truth and a, a flourishing, flourishing of religion. And that's what Tocqueville writes about and observes when it comes to America. Well, thank you very much on that observation. I think uh, it's, it's, it's spot on being, I'm not a historian, but it certainly fits what I know. Uh, one of the things I would like to address to uh, Dr. Harmelick is the Lutheran experience here in the United States. Now, Lutherans really started to immigration early in the colonial period with both uh, New Sweden, who were the Swedish settlers, were overwhelmingly Lutheran, and of course, and through uh, what was then uh, New Netherlands. And then later on, when the Prussians started to press down on cracked down on Lutherans there. There was a huge influx of uh, Lutherans to the United States, again, seeking a religious liberty. Uh, Dr. Hamlick, how did that work for us? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it was great. Uh, less than uh, a year ago, the oldest uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregation 
in the New York City celebrated its 350th anniversary, and the history there is a is a, a telling reminder of the persecution that uh, Lutherans had uh, coming to North America. So uh, back in the days when New York was New Amsterdam, right, uh, it was all under the governor. Again, this confusion between what we Lutherans talk about, uh, left-hand kingdom and a right-hand kingdom. So uh, the Lutherans uh, that settled in the, in New Amsterdam uh, were not allowed to uh, baptize their children, uh, 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 not bury their dead, this, this kind of thing until there was uh, a religious liberty was was granted so i think that the history of the lutheran church in north america one of the the uh, red ribbons through the last uh, several several uh, decades is is this uh, desire to have a religious liberty the lutheran church missouri synod lutherans came to north america because they were not allowed in germany to practice uh, what they believed was a god god pleasing you know uh uh, uh, behavior as as far as our religion goes. Um, so I think the Lutheran churches, um, they're, they're a great, a great uh, a source of uh, keeping this, uh, keeping our religious freedoms alive, uh, especially these days where we see that, you know, there's a less, it's less politically correct, uh, not only to believe what you believe, but to express that belief. Dr. Spaulding, um, I have heard critics mention that there really wasn't that much involved in Christianity in establishing the founding documents. For example, the Constitution only mentions religion in that there will shall be no religious test for public office. However, Three years later, when they decided to put together the Bill of Rights to amend the Constitution, the very first amendment that they put was one that both established religious freedom, both meaning that the state could not, the federal government could not establish a state religion, and secondly, that everyone's free to exercise their religion. So it seems right. to me that it was indeed vitally important to the founders. Uh, no, I, well, it, it was. I mean, the, the first thing I would point out, I would just re- remind everybody that the Constitution does refer to no religious tests in the body of the, the Constitution, but recall that the, the, the Constitution, if you look at the very end of it, is dated... Uh, with reference to two things. Uh, one is in the year of our independence, which dates the Constitution back to the Declaration of Independence. And the other one is in the year of our Lord. That is, the Constitution itself puts it in the perspective of two, uh, the world, two world historical events that the founders thought were most important, namely the Christian era, and secondly, uh, their their statement of rights and and first principles, if you will, in the Declaration of Independence, their the New World from their perspective. Um, uh, so again, that that horizon is 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 everywhere in how they wrote their documents and how they perceived them. I think what but, they were. You're, you're, go ahead. I think what they were trying to say is that the government is secular, but the people are religious. Well, so that, that's that's what I was going to get at. So. So what they uh, this gets back to what did they mean by the separation of church and state? This is widely misunderstood. Some people want us to think that separation of church and state means religion, politics, everything has to be separated. But the founders' understanding of that concept was very different. On the one hand, they believed that at the level of law and doctrine, we need to separate them. For practical reasons, there have been all these wars in Europe 
where Protestants were killing Catholics and Catholics Protestants, and this was causing problems. You can't have the law dictate your faith, and you can't have faith be in charge of making laws. That's what they meant by separation. But it did not mean, indeed, they roundly said, uh, we want to encourage the exact opposite. We want a mixing, if you will, of religion, meaning religious faith and, and moral stricture, and the formation and teaching that faith brings to the public square. We want more of that. So in order to achieve more of that, they wrote something like the First Amendment, which balances this precisely the way uh, I've laid it out here, which is on the one hand, there's not going to be an established church at the federal level. There were still established church, churches at the state level until, I think, the 1830s in Massachusetts. I believe that's correct. But, uh, but, but not at the federal level. There would be no established church, but there would be a, there's no way in which the government should prevent the free exercise thereof. Well, so interestingly... Two, side, two sides of the same coin. They don't want formal establishments, but they do want flourishing religion. And for that reason, I think we had religious toleration. For example, you pointed out that Massachusetts had a, has a, had an official state religion, which I believe is Congregationalist, and I think Maryland was officially Catholic for a while. That's right. But the idea was that they weren't going to go to war with over with each other over this. Each one was free to to practice their own religion in their own way, and eventually these, this went away. And right. the idea of that religion extends everywhere. Uh, it because had an interesting. It had an interesting sidebar back in the early '70s. I had the I was able to interview Abba Eben, who at that time was the foreign minister of Israel, and he said that inadvertently the United States had become the worst enemy of Zionism because American Jews truly found sanctuary in the United States. Right, we, right. We never interesting point. Yeah, it was it's very interesting. The you know the idea right. of Zionism, all Jews belong in the Holy Land, but right here American Jews consider themselves Americans. They have not run into the, the type of persecution they ran into in Europe and other places. Just, just on there, let me make a, a quick point. You used the word toleration. Yes. And, and here I'd make, I would make an important distinction. The founders did not like the word toleration. As a matter of fact, they made a distinction. And in one of the most famous letters of, of the founding era when it comes to religion was a letter that George Washington's president wrote to a Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island, in which he said, you do not have your religious liberty here merely because of toleration. Toleration was the best you get in Europe. And what toleration meant as a practical matter is, we will tolerate you until we decide not to tolerate you. In America, Washington says, it's, you don't have your right here as a matter of mere toleration, but as a matter of right. right? That is to say, in the very nature of things, you have a right to freely practice your religion. That's the distinction between Europe and America. And it's that right that was, was to be accorded not merely to um, Christians, to, to mainstream religions, but to other religions as well. In this case, to Jews, one of the most persecuted religious minorities in the world. Uh, and, and so that, that turn away from toleration or, an ex, or, or uh, 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 beyond toleration to religious liberty as a matter of right, uh, that's really the thing that makes the American founding such a, uh, a, 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 a wonderful and amazing accomplishment 
uh, and, and that freedom is established. The word uh, toleration, again, it puts it the, in the hands of the government as far as we're, we're granting this, right? And uh, the founding fathers said, no, it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of thing. Well, in the Declaration, it says certain unalienable rights. There are rights that are granted by God, by the Creator, that government has no right to, or power, really, should not have the power to interfere. Uh, Dr. Harmlich, uh, the Lutheran experience in North America uh, had a lot of different problems. I mean, first of all, they had to... They, they were a different culture from most of the English settlers. Uh, they didn't really have the, uh, the Anglo-Saxon background, which is kind of strange since the Angles and Saxons originally came from Germany. Uh, but uh, when they, they did run into uh, persecution or at least distrust in this country. And, of course, the fact that Lutherans were somewhat different from the other Protestant religions. Now, one of the problems, as I saw it at any rate, was even within the Lutheran Church, there was this big debate over whether or not non-German-speaking people should be permitted into the church. Could you address that? Sure. I think uh, you see in the Lutheran Church in North America maybe a parallel to uh, what we saw with the uh, election of President Kennedy. It's like, well, you know, are, are uh, Roman Catholics in North America, are they, uh, do they have some kind of allegiance to the, to the Pope? And uh, we saw this in the two uh, world wars as far as Lutherans... Uh, were suspect as far as their allegiance to not only Germany, but the, the government back in Germany. So I think the Lutherans coming to North America, as you pointed out, kind of had to do a, uh, a, a reset as far as their understanding of the role of government in, in the Christian uh, religious life and, and behavior. So we see in the, in the history of the Lutheran Church in North America um, kind of a, a questioning. We saw this with the CFW Walter as far as, you know, what constitutes the church, what rightly uh, constitutes a congregation since the uh, the government uh, in, in Europe, you know, there's no government here in North America to sanction um, what's, what's uh, you know, what's either not tolerated or what's the official uh, uh, belief. So, so I think the, the history of the Lutheran Church in North America is an interesting one and as far as struggling and kind of ironing some of these questions out. I think the Missouri Synod is a good example of, uh, again, this understanding, right understanding of the two, two kingdoms and saying that government is uh, responsible in, in, in God's divine plan. The government's responsible for, for its duties and the, the church is responsible for its duties. Uh, Professor Spalding, I'd like to bring us up to the present time. What's happening now with our society? It seems that a lot of the very underpinnings of our society are starting to come unraveled. Religion is being held in increasing suspicion and even hostility. What's going mm -hmm. on with that? Well, I mean, I think part of it, if if we can talk uh, history, just a, a brief moment here, is how we got from there to here. Uh, again, the, the misconception, uh, largely taught in, in many academies, many universities, is that uh, the, the American founders were unfriendly to religion, uh, were secular, and therefore they kind of sent their country on this trajectory. And so it's kind of a natural trajectory from the founding 
which which wasn't influenced uh, was only secondarily influenced by religion, but was tended supposed to be secular to what we've become. Again, I think that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really have to go to, uh, in, 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 in a broader sense. Uh, if you go back to the period, say, after the Civil War, uh, the Civil War, both sides of the Civil War, really saw that as a conflict uh, within the confines of American constitutionalism and a religious worldview, if you will, as divided as they were. But, but after the Civil War, there arose something, especially in the universities, in popular culture, and in politics, uh, called progressivism, uh, itself having learned from a lot of European ideas that really questioned the very underpinnings of, of, of politics and of limited government, but more so of the idea that there were certain truths to be understood that had implications for politics. Driven more, it was driven more by a sense of moral relativism. Uh, and because of that, things that implied or uh, taught different had to be kind of pushed out of the public square, if you will. Uh, this clearly has implications for how we understand history and politics, and there's a whole line of reasoning that comes out of it. But when it comes to this question of religion, you start seeing it playing out, especially when you start getting into, for instance, Supreme Court decisions. Uh, and there were some very famous ones uh, early on, um, once you get into the 20th century, especially, and one of the things the court looks back to and picks up on is a letter that Jefferson writes to the Danbury Baptists, uh, in which he makes reference to a wall of separation. He meant nothing. Uh, he meant uh, he, he meant a kind of sense of a federalism, uh, but he didn't mean it in a doctrinal sense. But the modern Supreme Court has raised this to the level of saying there must be this absolute wall of separation. Government can never touch religion. Religion can never touch government. And so over the course of the 20th century, we go through a long, long period in which uh, the courts, especially, uh, thinking they're, they're, they're carrying out the intentions of the founders, are essentially trying to expunge as much as possible or erase this religious history and its implications in American politics. And I think today what we're seeing is we're starting to really see that playing out much more aggressively because you now have a government, federal government especially, but others as well, uh, a federal government and a court system that is largely established now on this new view of the church-state relation, which is that the state should be uh, secular and religion uh, should be put into a smaller and smaller box which means those are religious uh, views, uh, should have to accommodate themselves to the modern secular state. Hence, surprise, surprise, we're getting all sorts of new cases about uh, religious liberty as the state goes forward with ideas uh, redefining marriage, how we understand gender, how we understand questions which go to the very heart of what uh, religion understands uh, uh, how, about how man has been created and human nature and all of those questions. I think one of the most dangerous concepts I've heard recently is a shift in the argument from using the phrase freedom of religion to freedom of worship. There is a distinct difference there. The Soviets used that phrase, dis- freedom of worship, which meant, oh yeah, you can worship in your place only, not that, outside. That's right. That's, that's in shorthand what, what I meant by putting religion in a smaller and smaller box. Right, so mm-hmm. 
um, uh, religion really becomes the formalities of religion. When you're in your house of worship, or to put it in more um, uh, sectarian terms, kind of the confessional, right? You have religious liberty there. But in terms of free exercise, what the founders understood about free exercise was you had the freedom to exercise your religious faith in the day-to-day in your day-to-day life. How you carried yourself, how you educated your children, how you lived in your neighborhood, right? So that's, that's a much narrower understanding of religious liberty, which I think the founder would say is not religious liberty at all. What that is is toleration. You can go over into your church, close the doors, and worship as you please, but you can't come outside and profess what, uh, what your beliefs are. Because at that point, you're now in conflict with what we, the state, believes. We're running into about our, our final minute or so. I'd like to do a recap on this if I can. Uh, Dr. Harmelick, in 30 seconds, what do you see as a position of the Lutheran Church within American society today? The Lutheran Church, again, goes back to the government is ruled by logic and the Church is ruled by the Word of God. And uh, once that gets mixed up, uh, once... Uh, Things become uh, less logical in the in the realm of government. Uh, uh, as we've talked about this hour, uh, it it brings up a lot of questions and, and uh, tensions. And I think this is a good opportunity to go back to a clear understanding of again what God has called the government to do and what God has called the church to do, and uh, remind people that uh, yeah we we. We should enjoy the freedoms of not only worship what we do on Sunday morning, but what we do with our neighbors uh, and with our family during the week. Uh, Dr. Spaulding, uh, your conclusion? I completely agree. I think that uh, men and women of faith throughout this country uh, of different denominations need to work together to preserve the most important liberty at the heart of what America has created. And I think if we lose that, uh, we will lose what essentially is the thing that makes America exceptional. And we need to be very careful going forward. These are going to be time, very difficult times, um, uh, but I think we need to band together for the sake of, of our religious freedom and our beliefs, but also the future of free government, uh, which I think is increasingly at stake. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, you've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, which is a presentation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. As a religious liberty education and awareness program, Free to Be Faithful airs the third Wednesday of every month at 2.30 p.m. and is rebroadcast again the following Saturday at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. It's also available for download on our website at kfuo.org. Today's guests, Professor Matthew Spaulding, Associate Vice President and Dean of Educational Programs at Hilldale's College, and the Reverend Dr. Harmelick, Executive Director of Concordia Historical Institute. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessing.